You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the awesomest podcast in the awesomeness. That's not a tagline I'm going to go with, so I'm going to keep going. Um, I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Valerie Willis. And our guest today is Jim Nettles. Four choices have been made. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about what we're drinking. So I'm drinking um, my, well, I'm, I'm double fisting it technically. I have Pacific Rim which is my favorite 70% organic sweet Riesling. I feel eventually they'll get in touch with me and say, stop saying that on your podcast. And I'll say, tell Publix to stop saying it's 70% organic. And um, La Croix, La Croix Lime, so that I'm balancing my alcohol with water like a a boss. Uh, Val, what are you drinking today? What's left of my Coca-Cola? I just moved into my house. That's why I look, I can show my background. I'm so excited. This is going to be the first episode where people see sexy Sasquatch and, and the face hugger from Alien and all that fun jazz behind me. Very cool. It's my own office. I'm no longer in the in laws. I am free. Okay. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. Jim, what are you drinking? I'm into the mother smoke. I'm into the Guinness. Oh. So- Nothing too strong. Um, I'm behaving. I still got stuff to get done eventually at some point tonight, I think. Otherwise, it'd be the scotch. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I'm um, absolutely not going to do anything productive tonight. That is my goal. Hashtag. Oh, no, that's not true. I think I'll drunk make lasagna later. <laughs> like you do. Um, <laughs> at a bare minimum, I've got to be cooking because we've got po- people coming in for New Year's. Oh, So yeah. I've got to like. I've got to like prep everything tonight. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's super exciting. Okay. So for anyone out there that for some reason doesn't know who you are, what do you write? Yes. Um, So I write fiction, nonfiction. I ghostwrite. I I do a bunch of different stuff. Uh, So on the fiction side of the world, I write science fiction, urban fantasy, a bit of horror, a bit of contemporary, a little bit of gothic. Um, right now, uh, I've got three series going. I've got a couple other new things that I'm trying to get, or I'm trying to sell right now that are back into like the space opera, sci-fi side of the world. Um, I've got to get two more novellas out and done here in the next bit. Um, I also write nonfiction. A lot of, I write way more nonfiction than I do fiction because it pays better. It's nowhere near as much fun. Um, (laughs) no. But, um, you know, I write a lot about privacy, data security, entrepreneurship, um, I kind of all over the place. Um, As you can see, I have over one shoulder or the other, um, you know, my business book for authors. I teach a lot of workshops, um, not only in, in the creative space, but for 30 something years, I've taught business workshops. I grew up as an entrepreneur. Um, Most of my career has been... I started out writing in media. Um, I've spent a lot of my career in fintech and consulting. 
Um, I and the answer is kind of like yes. I'm just sort of in the answer is yes. <laughs> I was gonna say that was a journey we just went on. There are so many things that you do. It's I English so good. So many things. You know, answer <laughs> just all oh, the writings. I do stuff. all the writing. <laughs> Should have been the answer because if, if somebody's willing to write me a check for it, I mean, I've written about you know Gnostic theology. I've written about. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question because Valerie's done ghostwriting, for instance. I've never done ghostwriting because oh, ghostwriting. Um, I have many feelings regarding ghostwriting. Many emotions come to mind. But um, what what got was it simply the paycheck on the ghostwriting? Like because I know there are authors out there that ghostwrite. My emotions tend to go. You're giving other people your artwork, but I where where did that go? Most of the time, for most of the ghostwriting and stuff I do is actually nonfiction. It is business materials, educational materials, articles, uh, things like that. So it's part of its paycheck. Part of it is just a matter of that's the way the business works. I mean, I've written under a lot of different names, not only ghostwriting, but I actually have a lot of other names. I write articles and different things under because, A, you don't necessarily want to mix and match everything that you do. Um, and especially with some of the professional career and others that I've done over the years, um, some people don't necessarily want somebody working on a 10 or a $20 million project that also writes about murder mysteries about gnomes. I have no idea why, but you know, <laughs> no, it's, it's... yes, no. And sometimes it's hard to market because marketing and selling yourself is so much harder if you don't split up the name and divide the right. audiences too. And I think that's the hardest lesson that a lot of authors have that, uh, yeah, it it's not that you can't claim that you write all those things. It's a matter of helping the readers be more confident or divide and conquer uh, and mm -hmm. only focus on what they want from you as a writer. Right. Um, and and uh, I write under a lot of different names for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I, you know, frequently get in a conversation about, well, you know, should I use a pen name? Well, the first question is, do you want to put your name on the work that's going out the door? You know, do you have a reason not to put the name on the work on the name that's going out the door? Um, you know, does it make sense because you're writing in a bunch of different spaces to have pen names that identify the genre, the brand, whatever it is that you're doing? Um and so there's a lot of different reasons to do that, but kind of to loop back to the original ghostwriting question, part of the, the aspect of that is, A, there's paycheck attached to it. B, sometimes this means you get to partner with, work with, work in universes and realms that you don't get to otherwise. Um, sometimes when I've done the ghostwriting, then I'm also bylined on that as well. So I'm shown at, as one of the authors, even though I may have written the vast majority of it. But a lot of the time that is working with necessarily someone else's IP or working as part of a, a larger project to develop, you know, the written material, stuff like that. So it really depends on why do you want to do it? I mean, if paycheck is the only reason you're doing it, there's lots of other ways to make money. Um, now, if somebody writes a big enough number, sure. But if you're not having fun with it or not invested in it, even if it's not your name on the byline, it's going to show. I mean, you can tell people that cranked out a piece of crap really quickly for the paycheck to get it out the door and you can look and go, huh, well, 
And you can tell the stuff that somebody does that they're really enthusiastic about really having a lot of fun to as to what to do. I mean, it, at the end of the day, writing is a skill and writing fiction is a different skill from writing nonfiction, from writing educational and technical materials, which is different from writing news articles, which is different from writing other things. Same time, if you're writing fiction, it's it's a different skill set to write a short story than it is a novella, which is a different skill set from writing a novel. And so there's it being able to work in a lot of those different spaces has a lot of fun and a lot of value. And it's one of those things that if, if you're always kind of pushing and stretching what you're doing, then it's going to improve everything you're doing creatively as a writer up until the point where you just short circuit and go, yeah, I, I word, I word good. We're <laughs> good. Yes. Yes. I give good and, word. and it can be overwhelming if you're not careful. Like some people ask me all the time, like I did it for a short time because the paycheck and the money was good and it was something I needed to get to the next step that I wanted, but I, I set boundaries. And I, th I think that's one of the things that people who are first getting into ghostwriting fail to do is that you have to know what you're willing to do and not willing to do and, and learn the word no, and don't take on a project that's going to break you as a writer. So, you know, I refused anything that was similar to what I do creatively for myself right mm -hmm. so I'm a big fantasy mythology paranormal romance writer so I'm not going to ghostwrite any of that because that's that's creativity for for me and I don't want to give up a character that I might end up falling in love with uh instead I would take on memoirs nonfiction, um and things that are written in a formalistic way that I would never write in a million years because it's not my cup of tea. But eventually after doing, and and I did well because most of them hit best-selling list. Um, but I just, I just did not, it was more frustrating for me. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm not going to do me or my client any favors continuing this. If I'm getting more and more frustrated because I can spend that same time to produce a book for myself and get it to best selling. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a trade-off. So that was, that was my journey in ghostwriting. That's where I dipped my toes, James. <laughs> well, wow. and yeah. And this, this is one of those things that, you have to kind of look and know that when you're doing work for hire, really, you're just being a mercenary. And because of a lot of the consulting and other things that I do, I can have that and compartmentalize and go and say, this is something I'm doing for me, my projects, my name, my brand, my reputation, this and this. This is something I'm doing because it completes whatever this body of work over here is. And I, I can flip that switch most of the time. However, there are times that you create something like, oh, I could have used that. I still can use that. It'll just have a different name file off the serial numbers and we'll, you know, we'll do something different, but you know, ideas, when you, when you create ideas, when you create characters, when you create storylines, when you do all of these different things at the end of the day, when it is you and your voice versus trying to do it for somebody else's voice. Um, even if you write the same character, same everything else, because you're changing voice, it's still going to become go from being their character to yours, um, depending on how you do it. I mean, there's a lot of things that if it really has that much meaning, there's always a way to, to work that in. And I don't think as writers, we ever have a shortage of ideas. We don't ever have a shortage of characters. It's always a matter of 
where do I want to put my time? And if somebody's willing to write the check for it, I'll write an ad campaign. If somebody's willing to write the check for it, I'll write this stuff over here. And sometimes it's easier to do that because you're not as invested in it than it is the, I really have got to figure out a way to kill this guy and make it something different. And how am I going to make the body hit? Yeah, you, you yeah know, everybody it, shut the body. <laughs> I love that being the thought process. Um, okay, so you've been writing for a very long time. What was your first fiction that you wrote? Um, my mother was an English teacher. So <laughs> probably some of my book reports. Um, Let me I, rephrase. I published fiction that you wrote first published fiction that ever sold i think i was 18 19 okay. um into a and it was a piece of crap that never should have been bought or published but it was a small anthology um i was in college and it was a good story it just needed a lot more work but it sold and because at that point i i you know i started the first stuff I ever published was I was like 14 or 15 as a photographer, school newspaper. I was, you know, shooting pictures and stuff like that when I went to college. Okay, great. Have a camera, will travel, can can word. I can word. And I could <laughs> I could crank out a story that was fairly clean fairly quickly. Because you know, if you're in media, one of the things that you have to do is write fast and write clean. If you've got editors that have got to clean up your work, it will not work. I mean, I've done the routine of, um, you know, been at a football game and left the game at 11, 1130. I'm in at 1230 in the darkroom developing pictures. I'm writing the article to go out because it's got to be on the board by 2 a.m. to make press at six. Wow. Um, you know, it. you've got minutes often of time to go to an editor. Um, there have been times when I've worked on stories that were tied to real-time events that were going on in markets and financial activities or different things like that, where you are having to literally write clean and push the publish button because there's not necessarily, you know, the, when you put publish, it goes to the editor, they get two or three minutes and they may tweak two or three things and it goes out the door. You have to learn to write fast and, and write clean. Fiction's a lot different from that because you've got the time to go sit there and, and putz with it. I say this, and I mean, one of the most fun things to do is when you get one of the, you know, one of the, the flash fiction type contests or one of the things that are, you've got 24 hours to crank out a story to do this. And, you know, and I won an award one time for a story. A friend of mine called me at, and this, it had to be in by midnight. And a friend called me at like, I don't know, 8.30 and said, hey, I'm submitting for this. Can you give it a once over? Sure. And I said, what's this for? She goes, well, it's a so-and-so contest for da 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 Oh, okay. So I did a quick edit, sent it on back to her. And this is by this time, it's like 9.30. I'm like, yeah, that'd have been fun to do. Because the storyline was telling a story from the perspective of the monster. You get a thousand words. Okay, great. That'd have been fun to do. It's 10.30. I have... Ooh, shiny. So I crank something out with no edits, yes. hit hit the email button at like 1130, went to bed. Well, it pulled in a second prize, <laughs> <laughs> which meant that it got turned into a radio show. 
which was part of it. The first, the top three places all got turned into radio programs. And I got what I will always live and die by was my best review for anything ever. And the, the, the radio program that was producing it, they called it sultry yet horrific. (laughs) Hey, you know, I am all about those kind of reviews, you know, the ones that make us smile and go, that person got it. (laughs) Because <laughs> I don't get me wrong, I think five star reviews, four star reviews, whatever, those are nice. I loved your book, blah, blah, blah. But when they say something that just literally makes you go, oh, that person got that story, you, you gotta love it. Um, so it, it's part of the ahead. fun of writing. So, okay. Did we get out of that answer? The wine may be getting in the way because I maybe have not eaten since breakfast. There was but- an answer there? Um, what is your first published fiction work? It was, it was a short story that was in an anthology and I, I only vaguely even remember what it was about because it was a very generic little quickie sci-fi, you know, land on the planet, shit goes awry, everybody dies. Do you have that anthology? Like do you have a physical copy? So there's a lot of my early stuff that only existed on paper or might have been on a five and a quarter floppy disk type of stuff that we had some stuff flood, which included a bunch of my newspaper pub credits, which included a whole bunch of stuff. So I don't have any copies of a bunch of stuff from about mid nineties back. Oh, Um, I, I managed to recover some stuff because I, uh, broke down at one point and I started going through the 10,000 floppy disks I had. And yes, that is a real number. Um, and trying to go through and look at what all was on them to see what was stuff I wanted to try to keep or recover. And so there was some, some stuff I managed to recover out of that time period, but I do not have that little anthology. It was printed, it was printed by a small press in Columbia, South Carolina, um, that has not been there for 30 something years. I'm not sure that they printed more than three or four projects but um so what is the name of the anthology do you remember because we'll shout it out here and see if anybody can um you know if you um i don't even remember because it was it was one of those like it came from outer space i remember it was based it was it was the title was based off of one of the old black and white 3d movies so i think it was it came from outer space um but it was like it was one of those kinds of titles because it was meant to be nothing but like B movie stories. Uh, that sounds amazing. What about your first full novel? My first full novel would actually be that that was published would be in that book right there. Um, in about 2014. Like when it came out, 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Um, and because that's a trilogy right there. So the first full novel. And it started out as a short story and it became an outline for a seven book series. Um, books four and five have been sitting in developmental hell for through the plant, you know, through the plague times. Um, they're sitting there drafted. They need a massive rewrite. But the first one, the first full novel I did, I did a bunch of novella length stuff, um, tons of short stories, but the first novel length would have been in that guy right there. Okay. So, the fact that you do a lot of short stories and flash fiction, I think is amazing because I think that is actually um, a tool or whatever we want to call it that um, authors should have in their tool belt. 
is being mm -hmm. able to write in a shortened period of time because most authors I find can't stop themselves from taking something. Hi, this should be 2,500 words. And what they submit is something like 25,000 okay. words. And yeah. um, Valerie's slightly guilty of doing this. Um, okay. I, it's true. I'm very good at being able to like, oh, is this a hundred word story? We can do that all the way up to, is this a hundred thousand word story? I can do that too. But do you think, you know, obviously having an English professor as a teacher, as a parent helps, but do you think having um, the journalistic background that you have helped a lot with being able to be much more concise with stories? So the answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, having covered a lot of different news type stories means that you see and experience a lot of stuff very fast, very concisely, but it also means there's not a lot of detail there. You have to put a lot of nuance to it um, to put kind of that life and the energy in it. One of the things I also grew up on and loving was old style radio shows. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is if you're trying to write short, go listen to old style radio shows because 30 minutes or even an hour, if you look at the scripts for these, they're very short. You know, there's a lot that's done in sound effects and Foley. Uh, there's a lot of things that are done with nuance, but the actual scripts and the dialogue, if you take away all the rest of that, just and read the scripts, they're very short, but they, they're every word counts. And, you know, a lot of my first sales were to some of the small magazines, um, you know, where you sold a short story off to the magazine, you sold a short story off to, to a collection here or there. And when you are able to do that, um, it forces you to write tight, very concisely, and you learn to create a lot of idea and imagery with very few words. You have to be able to fill in the gaps for yourself. When you go to write something novella length, if you're going to take and turn a short story into a novella, you've got a lot more room to fill, which means you can create much more descriptive scenarios and characters and backstory and other stuff like that. And fill it in and then when you're going to novel length you know that's when you can spend an entire page describing this hillside that has no relevance whatsoever stephen king um but has no relevance to the story whatsoever other than the fact that i walked down it and i described every blade of grass including the one that had been bitten in half by a goat three years ago but never properly grew back because of the weird cut you know all right i'll i'll ramble <laughs> no but I, you know it's interesting you say that because as a reader that is one of the things that throws me out of a story i've talked about a lot on the podcast is if you go into ridiculous exposition that is not necessary for the story if you're telling me about that hill and you're describing that blade of grass the goat did because you're going to come back to this goat and it's going to have eaten people later in the story for instance throw that in there but if i get to the end of that book and i'm like i just read about a hill and a tree and a whatever and it has literally no fucking relevance to the story i'm going to be so mad at the end like i think that if you have that many words or how big of a story are you trying to tell which is fine you can have you know two hundred thousand words as long as you're doing two hundred thousand words of story and not a hundred thousand words of story and a hundred thousand words of 
describing a fucking belt buckle that has no relevance whatsoever truly to the story. It's not going to make a difference. You could say the belt buckle had the family crest, not that it was entwined with leaves and fucking dragons. Nobody cares, right? Um, and I think this is what flash fiction and short fiction writing does for authors is teach them the importance of every aspect. And then going back to write a novel, you realize how careful you have to be because it is it is easy for someone to write purple prose is, is the term I like, you know, where you're, it just has no weight. Like in, even in Twilight, there's a whole scene of her talking about a freaking sweater and the sweater never comes back around. And I'm like, I thought this was going to have some sort of deeper meaning and you kind of disappoint the reader uh, a lot when you do that. So I totally, yes, I, I agree. I agree, you guys. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad you agree, Val. I was very worried about your lack of agreeing with us on this point and whether or not that would dramatically impact this podcast. I'm glad <laughs> it has not. I was <laughs> super worried. Val's also trying to sneak eat on this show and she's not allowed to eat on podcasts because she tends to start laughing and then choking on what she's eating. I just want a peanut butter in the end. I understand, but there are rules. We have rules on the show for you, Missy. This is called drinking with authors. Drinking yeah, with authors. Not eating with authors. You did not send Jim a snack. Rain that shit in. For anybody who watches the YouTube of this or you're watching the YouTube, you've witnessed this. But if Everyone's you're cheering me on. And they're, they probably have a drinking game every time Val sneaks a snack of a chip or an M&M. That could got, be a like, drinking game because you're dangerous when it comes to stuff like that. You but are. then again, when I'm a guest on here and you guys are asking me risque questions and I'm drunk, I apparently I cram my mouth full of apples and grapes to not answer. <laughs> Val gets embarrassed about some of the stuff she writes. So, Jimmy, you've got well, that's what romance is for, right? <laughs> there you go. See, you've done it already. Look, she's turning bright pink. Well done. All right, I've broken her, and we're only... Uh, yeah, we're not even halfway through the show, and you've already broken Val. Only because... It's only because Erica convinced me I should write erotica, and then I saw Shifters was the number one seller on that side, so I decided I was going to be different and do cryptid Shifters, hence the sexy Sasquatch picture of him saying, I'm looking forward to reading Sleeping with Sasquatch. <laughs> see here's the problem i was i did a I, I did a business workshop for the rwa a number of years ago and I've, I've taught before before and one of the things that gets me in trouble every time when i try to write a sex scene i said it looks a lot like combat scenes somebody's trying to stick something into somebody else by the time it's all said and done there's a bunch of people covered covered in bodily fluids flopping around on the floor i <laughs> You have to do like a head, hand, and arm, and leg count to make sure you didn't put <laughs> extra body parts in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I oh mean, my I, God, I said I that. Wish more authors would do that. How many scenes have we read where suddenly there's like six arms, and you're like, "Are what are they?" Because they're human. This is set in modern times. This isn't even paranormal, and there's six fucking arms. You cannot be doing all these things. Is or my favorite is when is... they bend the bodies, whether it's a combat scene or a sex scene, those can be considered the same thing. I agree with you. When they um have things and you're like, it is literally impossible for the human body to be in that position. 
like who said they were human we just haven't told you that i guess i need to get to them um so uh what is your what is your favorite kind of thing to write like what what ideas do you think you get the most i have uh, one of the things that for a lot of my career for about 20 years i traveled 48 weeks a year so i lived in hotels airports the bar client sites so you get to see a lot of people in kind of the worst and the weirdest and the most stressful st sort of stuff that's going on, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of cannon fodder I have accumulated over the years. Um, and it really depends on what mood I'm in and what, it's almost like what I read. It's what mood am I in as to what do I want to be working on in writing? And generally at any given point in time, I'm working on several of them and have them in various phases of development. I really like and love playing with urban fantasy and even some dark fantasy stuff because you can literally magic your way out of whatever you just fucked up i mean you know you just go and say so true wow i have now dug them at the absolute bottom how the hell do i get them out of this do i just toss oh magic all right fixed <laughs> yeah uh, you know what this is a great time to introduce a new mythological paranormal creature um, but part of the fun of doing stuff like that too, is the whole, you've used that out two or three times. And then it comes down to that out to work because you've done something that the character's like, get me the hell out of here. And it's like, Ooh, yeah, we can't do that. And here's why good luck and go flitter off. I mean, cause so in, in this particular series, I've got an angel who has a bad pop culture addiction but really wants to unmake the universe because the sky is not purple. And so really he's kind of an agent of chaos to show up. And second book, there's a particular scene where my protagonist is stuck standing at the river sticks. And he's like, get me the hell out of here. And he shows up and he goes to rough the angelic wings around. He's like, huh? Well, that's not going to work. Good luck. And gets the hell out of there. Doing something like that out of a, well, here's the here's the magic way out. Oh, yeah, we're not going to let that work. Well, sorry. The powers that be with the rules said they changed. Sorry. Good luck. You can create scenarios in, in urban fantasy and whatnot when you're playing with magic and a lot of those ideas because you also get to twist ideas in a very different way. You get to stretch them, twist them, run them through the taffy machine, watch them change colors and pop them out as these, you know, as these little nuggets and these ideas with myth and mythology. And when you do that, UF creates this great fun playground to play with where you can write your way into some beautifully screwed up situations and then match your way out of them. It's IFM. Great. We're done. Working with things that are more harder sci-fi or even, um, you know, space opera, stuff like this, but that has to be much more grounded in physics and reality. And, you know, even if you've got the ideas of like warp drive and whatnot, that which is a bit of an IFM, but you still have to have things that work in plausibility and hard, hard rules. That's a lot of fun too, because you can write yourself into a hard place. You got to sit there and go, huh? All right. I need to go get a beer for this one. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, we actually have to take a quick break. We will be right back with Drinking With Authors. In the mood to listen to some geeky conversations? Feel like the internet isn't the best place for an in-depth, respectful exchange of ideas? Then head on down to the 42Cast. It's a weekly show that covers a new geeky topic in comics, TV, movies, literature, or video games every week. We can be informative. Back in my day, kids, Pluto was a planet, so it's gonna stay a planet. (laughs) Irreverent. You learn so much from the X-Men. I mean, really. That Wolverine is the most important character no matter what. Strange. It's like, you know, Grodd if he went into theology or something. Right? Or controversial. I believe and I will swear to my dying day that the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Howard the Duck. Find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, 42cast.com, or esopodcast.com. It's the 42cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Oh, and okay. damn, that wasn't even on the recording. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't no. on the recording. No, I was so arguing going off about... of dissertation on making a fucking sandwich. No, I'm not. In... I'm, I, I tell you, Jim, I will send you <laughs> the. I'll send you a link to the episode where she was on with Jonathan Mayberry, and she's sitting there eating food, then choking, then laughing, and then the only word out of her mouth is fucking manatee. It was ridiculous, <laughs> and I was like, "That's it. You're not eating on these podcasts anymore." Because he asked what it was no. doing later, and. <laughs> I, I still no. have a life goal with Jonathan. I and I haven't worn the show on a sh- on, shirt on a show with him yet. But I keep telling him I own the ugliest Hawaiian shirt known to man, and he's still. I'm still trying to challenge him for that. I well, think I had it on a dragon. Do is con. dress up as him with that ugly Hawaiian shirt. Did you hear about that? That some woman showed up dressed up as him to a convention. <laughs> a little tiny French woman. <laughs> Undoubtedly, he thought so, it was funny. okay well let's talk about that for a moment you do a bunch of conventions right yeah the understatement of the decade how i just said it you you do some you do a couple conventions every year um but what has that been like meeting your fans at conventions it's always a lot of fun so it, it conventions a lot of the time i'm actually teaching a lot of workshops and a lot of the time, I'm actually on panels talking about the business side of creativity. Um, that being said, and also getting to hang out with a lot of writers that have become really good friends of mine over the years, because they're like, you, the reason that this book came about, Business Essentials for Writers, was a number of years ago, a friend of mine, we were standing at a convention in Charleston. And she goes, I have a question for you. She goes, you're one of those weird business techie people, right? Now, granted, in the business world, they always look at me and go, you're one of those just weird people, right? And so I'm like, yeah. And she goes, can I ask a question? And I said, sure. She asked. I outlined. I gave some, you know, relatively straightforward question. And she cocked her head, looked at me and said, darling, that all sounded really important. And I have no idea what the hell you just said to me. And so I started doing a lot of, as I was like, if I got to answer the questions, I'm going to write up the answer. And because I mean, I was doing a fair number of entrepreneurial articles and things at the time. So I'm like, if I'm, if I'm writing something that applies to entrepreneurism, I will also rewrite it. So it applies to authors of the creative space in a little bit more readable language, less of the technical language, language, whatnot, 
which granted ultimately became, I was doing Quora and a bunch of other stuff at the time. And then we kind of took that and turned that into a website called the writer's mind. And then it, pulling that down, I pared it down to create this book and a series of things and workshops I've been teaching all over the years. And yes, I'll loop back around to the question, but workshops and things that I've been teaching for years to people, whether it's software companies, gaming companies, attorneys, doctors, you know, you name it. If somebody's trying to create a business, about 80% of any business is the same. Doesn't matter what it is. Then there's the 20% that's important to the niche. And so that's what I was spending a, a fair amount of time was pulling this together. And I was working on the draft of it. I was at a convention in New Orleans and I was getting to meet Dr. Ben Bova for the first time because I was going to be moderating him and doing some other fun stuff. And so my dad had never been to a convention before. And he heard the words, you're going to New Orleans? Sure, I'll go to New Orleans. And so we go down, we go to New Orleans and had gotten in on Friday afternoon. I'd had to, to swing through Jacksonville on the, the drive down to go in the office and, and do some stuff while we were leaving from. So yes, picture Charlotte to Charleston to Jacksonville to then go over to New Orleans. Um, so get in, get that afternoon. I'd done my first panel and I texted him sitting in the middle of the panel said, okay, get me a beer, get me a burger. I'll have an hour in between the two. And so I go running into the bar and dad's sitting there talking to a couple of people and, and back and forth and whatnot. And, um, he's dad's talking and talking and I'm, I pick up my beer and have a sip and dad goes, Oh, hi. Yeah, this is Ben. Yes, Dr. Bova, I will be moderating you in the next hour. <laughs> Getting to meet <laughs> people whose stuff I've read since I was a kid is so much fun. And getting to know a lot of the people, well, it's the same sort of thing. There's a lot of people I've gotten to know by being at conventions and building relationships. And, you know, because again, I run pretty wide open all the time. And at a convention, I, you know, I always preach about doing two things. Number one is be there, be yourself, be the best of yourself that you can be. Don't be an absolute ass if you can help it. That rule is usually for me because the absolute ass comes out. But it's not only about getting to meet fans and readers and people that love stuff because there's a lot of fun and people going and saying, I love this book. This meant this to me. This meant this to me. You always love to hear that. You love to hear the feedback. You also, but because again, I, I work in tech and I do a lot of stuff. I've done, done things like give bug bounties out for, if you find a typo, let me know. Um, which also people find is fun. So like at one convention, I, yeah, I've, the book that sells the most is this damn little known book that was so much fun to do. And I got two more coming. They're drafted. They're sitting there. They just need to be edited. One of them needs to rewrite. But anyway, she comes in and says, I think on page 10, you missed a word. And that's when I implemented the bug bounty. And because I always, you know, it's one of those things of people come, they come to conventions. I am a firm believer. If I am there. I'm part of the entertainment. And, but at the same time, if you're at this convention, you're there for my entertainment value. Um, so I'm going to amuse myself sometimes at your expense, um, but I try to behave, but it's, hey, it's getting to meet people and interact means I've got more fodder to wind up in books. I mean, wait, sorry. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, no, getting to meet people that enjoy stuff at conventions reminds you why you're doing the work. It tells people that 
they get this. It's not about the feet. It it is about the feedback, but it's also that motivation of, well, that last book only did X um, or the God that was a pain in the ass. Why am I doing this to myself? The fact then people come and say, you know, I really enjoyed this. I had fun with this. I'm, I'm loving doing this. That is one of those things that, that will help you when you're having that day that you're like, I never want to touch a keyboard again. And you're like, oh, okay, now I'm energized. I can go work. And I mean, I don't think people understand it kind of the same way. But, you know, if you think about it, like watching sports, it's a big difference between playing in an empty arena and having the fans sit there and scream and cheer or boo and tell you how much you suck. The fact that somebody's looking and listening at all is one of the things that feeds and fuels creativity. So for me, going and doing conventions is just as much about getting to meet people and getting to hang out with people that I've gotten to know really well over the years. And in some cases, influence them and the work that they're doing or things that they want to do and all these other things is really important. And that's part of what gives justification to me for spending that much time on the road, in hotels, you know, because one of the things I don't think a lot of people know is just because you're guesting somewhere, you're still picking up your hotels, you're still picking up your travel, you're still picking up a lot of stuff. And so it it's an expense. It's a big time suck. So if you're not enjoying it and not doing it for that as well, you should not be doing conventions or not many. I don't know if I, I answered your question or not. I'm not sure, but there's a lot to unpack. So I want to go back. I'm going to go back for as much as I remember. Let's let's all go on this journey with Erica. We're going to dissect this for a few minutes. <laughs> um, one of the things that I love in your Business Essentials for Writers book, and I was looking at it online before I started drinking earlier. And one of the things that I love about it, and part of what you know, me and Val have always had a um, huge, uh, like thing is helping other people in the community because you can end up writing in a vacuum and there's so much stuff that's not accurate out there and you as a starting artist as an author you don't necessarily know where to go and I hate to say it the the time of I'm going to get a contract from a publisher and it's going to be perfect and they're going to pay me a ton of money and all I have to do is write forever and ever that's that's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing anymore. And never period. really did, but it there was right. a time where there was an opportunity for that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's not the it's not the same thing, right? So now you have to help. And there's I found even when I was an author before I started the podcast, before we started publishing, before we did all that, there was so much like I don't know what to do. And when you have people that have been there, done that, and sort of have the t-shirts from it that go, hey, here's how you do this thing. And the fact that you come from a background, not only of the writing, but from the business and background of things, and you can go, this is how the business side of this works, I think is phenomenal. And the fact that you've done that is amazing because I think as a community, we have to help each other mm -hmm. through that, right? That was my first piece. The second piece is, I think it's, you know, when you're talking about going to conventions and stuff like that, that you said stuff that, first of all, has never been said on the show, but we don't talk about, we don't talk about the ugly side where we have to pay for the booths and we have to pay for the travel. And sometimes we're taking time off of work that may or may not be paid 
for those that have, you know, day jobs, those evil bastard day and job we're, things. And we're on. lugging boxes upon boxes of books, wondering why the hell did we have to write something so heavy? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things I, you know, I mean, because I'm primarily based out of Charlotte, um, we've, there's a whole bunch of us there. We do a lot of traveling together. We hotel together a lot. We spend a lot of time together. We spend a lot of time together. I mean, and so we road trip together. We, you know, we, it, it's very much a thing of it. I frequently talk about the fact of being, being a writer is the highest contact soul, soul player sport because you're never doing it by yourself. You can't, whether it's publishers, editors, cover artists, you know, if you, cause I do things both indie and working with publishers, I'm a hybrid author. And, you know, it, when you look at the balance of some of these different kinds of things, being able to partner with and work with people and talk through things, because sometimes it's just a shitty day. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of writers groups that I'm in. Um, part of the reason I started doing conventions as hard and heavy as I am is um, Gail Martin ran a, runs a writers group in Charlotte. We haven't met in person in years. But Gail, um, Gail started a group and we met once a month and sat around and we talked the business and, and we did stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's people like Gail Martin, John Hartness, Darren Kennedy. Yep. Um, you know, we've, we've got this group of writers and we started doing a bunch of things together. When the great pandemic struck and we, everything started get locking down, um, I had already been talking for years about why aren't we doing some of this stuff online? Why aren't we doing some of this stuff virtually? You know, we can do things to kind of a next tier level from just another podcast or another video cast. And they were looking at me going, why would anybody care about virtual? Well, in about mid 2019, I was working on doing that just to put together new shows and programs and, and workshop stuff for AE and the workshops company. Well, um, Everything started getting locked down. Uh, in early April, Gail Pink texts John and myself one morning and says, hey, so I did a thing. What do we do next? Her I did a thing was we had a logo for and we had a name, Continual. And it's like, okay, great. So I did this thing. What do we do next? And two weeks later, we were dropping our first couple of shows. Um, and since then... You know, we we kind we got to, you know, in 2020 and 2021 and even some this year, we worked to help bring some conventions virtual that weren't doing things in person. Um, we did some we did some virtual programming for some conventions that were there in person. You know, since we since we started stuff in April 2020, we're sitting somewhere, we're pushing 700 shows. Amazing. Um, about half of which is fandom and about half of which is craft and you know, I host, I, I host two of those programs. I produce a couple of more. Um, a couple of months ago, I brought back one of my old shows, Creating Pros, which is more about the business side of it and things like this. So the importance of doing conventions to give you an idea how important conventions are to fans as well as to creators. Um, the number of people that, because we started with, well, let's give this a shot and see what happens. And we started out with, we called friends and said, 
hey, by the way, you're going to be on this time. We're recording this. Um, and then friends started bringing friends who started bringing friends. And now we've had more than 400 people on the show. Um, we've had actors, we've had writers, we've had artists, we've had, I mean, we've had this wide plethora of stuff. So when you ask about conventions, when you can put a bunch of creative people in a room on a panel, yeah, it's much better to be in person sitting at the bar or sitting on a panel and talking to a room full of people you can see. But even without it, the number of people that have come and said, you, now that conventions are live again, you guys aren't stopping, are you? And we're like, stopping? Hell, we're trying to roll out more shows and more platforms. Because even with all of the live conventions and stuff like this, we can bring people from all over the world that would never otherwise be together to have a conversation, even if that's just for an hour. And this is, a, you know, it's one thing to do a panel and maybe you're sitting in a room with two or three people. Maybe you're sitting in a room with 20 people. Maybe you're in a room with a thousand people. Um, but even so, once the panel's done, it's done. You know, this is material that's out there. People can sit and get to know you. Part of the reason that conventions are important, and this looks a lot like social media, is readers want to know who you are. Who am I letting into my head? You know, it used to be the, well, this is my favorite author. I get a book or two a year. And let me go find my other favorite 12 authors or 50 authors or 100 authors that can crank through what I'm wanting. Conventions, social media created an environment where readers want to know more about the people they're letting into their heads. Conventions let you meet them face to face and you get to know. I mean, I will tell you, one of the things that I learned was who my fans are in a lot of cases. It tells me a lot more about I thought my fan would be this avatar, and really my fan is this avatar. Getting to know people means that I get to reach more people as an author, get to, to find out who they are. Yes, that means I'll flip the switch and go, from a business perspective, I know who, they, who I need to market to better, or I get a better idea of it. But at the same time, I also get to find out what is it they like, what do they want to read, and do I want to do more of it? Yeah. I mean, so the importance of doing conventions is very much a two-way experience, but you've got to enjoy it. And I know a lot of people that do a lot of conventions that eh, they enjoy parts of it, but you know, from the time you hit the floor till the time you walk off of it, you're on, you know, you're, you're on stage, you are performing, you are running wide open. And I do, I do sci-fi and fantasy conventions. I do tech conventions. I do business conventions. I do, you know, I do a lot of speaking gigs and other things. But pretty much what you're going to get, regardless of the platform, is how clean my kilt is and how good a shirt do I have on. And other than that, you're pretty much still getting the same smart ass me. Um, and there's a lot of value in knowing who's coming to see you and why. What do they want from you? But getting that getting that interaction is for me is is really energizing. And so conventions are really important for both sides, not only for people to get fans to be able to come meet their favorite people, their favorite writers, their favorite authors, their you know, favorite star movie stars or TV people or whatever the case may be. It, it really is building that relationship as to how do people perceive you? Was that, did I answer anything there? No, totally. <laughs> 
I think exactly what you're saying is true, you know, and, but, and that's sort of what we've, you know, and when you, when, as, oh my God, words coming out of my mouth. Words, words, words. Erica, I know. And I like how you mentioned that it's a performance. It's your, your, you, when you go to the convention, you flip a switch and that switch doesn't turn off till you come back home and land in your bed again. And it's, it, it can be very draining, especially for someone who's more introverted, but it is, it's a job. It's a, it, but it's, there's nothing like it, especially if you do enjoy it. And it always surprises me because I run table. I've ran tables at conventions in multiple hats, right? I've just been there as a moderator or to help volunteer run the convention to as four horsemen, my publishing house to me as an author or assisting another author. And it always surprises me that if you do this often enough, how quickly people recognize you mm-hmm. and you realize, oh man, I, I'm a big deal. Um, for instance, you know, we were doing Shameless Con here in Orlando and a woman and I'm just running as a publisher. So I'm not really pushing myself forward. And a woman does a double take and she points at me and she goes, I need the second book. And I'm like, what? She goes, Indiana at the start of this year, the vampire book. I need the second book. And it was like, and of course, my staff is like, oh, my God, she recognized you. I'm like. Yeah, and we're we're halfway across the country and it was my first time doing up north cons this year so it was like it does impact your your audience it impacts you as an author and there's a lot to it sorry i'm just i'm rambling now well and i mean i i've been a con runner i work with both for-profit and non-profit events i you know so getting to see kind of all the different pieces of how how a show comes together and the personality every different show has Oh yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it really is. I mean, for example, one of the ones I'm doing next year again, and I've been doing it for years and it's always a great time is a Tomicon in Charleston. I can assure you, I will not sell enough books to make a difference. However, um, and it's a great little con. It's primarily more of a film con than an author con, but it's one where we go and do it because I will sell enough to be okay. But I go see dad. I go see some friends because he's down in Charleston. Um, I go see some friends and this is one where we work on and cut deals in the bar. This is one where we're sitting there and get to kind of crack up a little bit more, you know, and and have a lot of fun. One of the things that we do at that one, a lot of years is um, this is one of the places we've done. um, And I forget the author's name. He has taken and translated all the different star Wars movies, one through nine into a, let me phrase this in a way that will keep A.J. Hartley happy. Um, Shakespearean English influenced style. <laughs> and I, think a, I, I just got for Christmas the Shakespeare version of Star Wars. Barely a New Hope. Brilliant. Well, yeah. we, will perform, we will perform from those live. <laughs> and you don't know what part you have until you sit down. You don't know what book you're performing from until you sit down. You don't know what role you're performing until you sit down. And so when you get to go, when you sit down to do this and they start, you find out here's the characters you have. 
here's the here's the particular movie we're going to do. Oh, here's your roles and here's the scene. You never know exactly what's going to come out. I'm still I'm I'm still thrilled by it, but I'm still trying to live down. We did um, episode seven, I think it was. I drew two characters. I drew Chewbacca. And I drew <laughs> Maz Kanata. And it was the scene in the in in the cantina. And the voice that came out of me for Maz Kanata, they are still referring to as Maz Doubtfire. <laughs> because <laughs> alcohol was involved. Um, of course. <laughs> so small conventions like that are a tremendous amount of fun and you get to cut loose a little bit and you hang out and you meet people and you interact with people. Great deal of fun. Dragon Con. That is five days of oh, let's crank up the batteries. Yeah, no, the batteries are extinguished by day three and you're like, I hope the fumes yeah. will last for four and five. Yeah, yeah. You, at one point, like, I think I get to the point, I think it's like day four that I noticed one of our, our other author friends' wives and it was their first time there. I was like, come on, we're going to Uber to a Waffle House and just escape the con for a few and then come and then Uber back. And she's like, is it okay to do that? I said, why not? <laughs> and we did. And it was just, it, you know, you have to take it in moderation. Like, don't feel like you have to force yourself to be at the con nonstop because it takes up the entire hotel district of Atlanta. Like, it's okay to step away and i i think with larger conventions especially something as as beastly as dragon con that i think a lot of people forget to come up for air like it's well, okay and, come up and, for I mean, air and like for dragon con it's not uncommon for me to have 10 12 15 panels um or more and i mean it's one of those things of and i'm you know and i tell them load me up i'm here to i'm here to run my mouth when you've done five or six panels in a day <laughs> and a reading maybe and um you know then all of a sudden you're and the next thing you know it's 12 30 or one in the morning you're like did i eat today is the bar still open did i eat today um it, it is an it's an entirely different but a very it's a tremendously different experience um and i mean granted i was holding myself last year together at dragon con with kt tape and knee braces but hopefully this year will be better um I chose poorly. Um, <laughs> I I went a little lighter. I was more aware of my schedule because the first year I, I loaded myself up. Uh, this year I went a little lighter so I could come up for air a little better and it was a little smoother for myself and I didn't rush myself as bad. Um, but uh, it, it, is, it is a fun experience. There's not a moment that I'm not having fun or laughing and there's a good showing, no matter what panel you're on, you're going to have people in that room, people who are engaged in what you're talking about and responsive, unlike any other convention I've been to. Like, I, it, it's absolutely cool. And then to sit on panels with people that I geek out about, you know, whether that's, you know, Patricia Briggs or Bill Fawcett's running my panel. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's just it gives me a chance to, to be a geek myself a little bit too. So it's, 
Yeah. And, no, and, I, go sp- I, and to spend time in the writer's bar where you get to network and you get to work on, anth- work on publishing deals and anthologies and all the, all the stuff. And th- I think this is the, the other part that, that people don't necessarily see is being at conventions, if you want to be in the publishing industry, this is how you meet and you network and you make things happen. Because if you have a good story, well, that's great. The slush pile may have 200 good stories sitting there from today. But if you can put in that cover letter, hey, we met at convention X, that might bump you up a tier. That might mean you get a paragraph read instead of the first sentence. Or maybe that means you get a first page, not a first paragraph. And you get to interact with people that tell you, oh, well, this is where you just fucked up. Um, Or this is what you just did really well. And this is how you improve on that. And it's also where you build those relationships with people that mean make doing the convention circuit fun and make it worthwhile to do. I, I agree 100%. I think, you know, the conventions, well, not only that, writing is such a solitary art that even if you're going to just have like an artist alley booth at a convention and bring your first book and sell it for the first time, um, and I really recommend having more than one book, but whatever, if you have one book, bring it, sell it. Um, but you get to actually have a fan reaction, something to your work because we all write in a vacuum in a way we can have writers groups we can have critics critique groups we can have friends that we talk about we can have friends we meet up and write with but it's not the same as having a fan of your genre or somebody you make make into a fan of your genre say something about your work or things like that because you don't you can't sit at home and necessarily get to hear that you get a little bit of it you can get it digitally but it's way different for instance when you have somebody decide to cosplay one of your characters and show up as a gnome in front of your table. And then you go, oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. cause there are certain events to me for writers that are like, we made it events. You have the, I call it a fangirl and I don't care what gender you are, but that person that gets to meet you that just is so thrilled and excited that they get to meet you that they're just gushing. And telling you points of your story that you don't even remember writing. And <laughs> it's like that, because that happens. We love all of you who read our books, but we don't remember every single word we wrote. And <laughs> they do that. And then there's the either cosplaying as your character. And you're like, wow. And for I think for us as artists, I think they come up thinking, oh, I hope they like what I've done. But I think they don't realize for us, we're like, oh my fucking God, somebody cosplayed one of my characters, right? You had enough of an impact on somebody that they, they want a picture with you. You had, a, you had a real impact on somebody and because you never know as a writer. You know, a lot of time we're like, yeah, I want to go tell my fun story. I'm having fun with this. It, it has meaning to me. But you never know the person that's reading it, what they're going through. Is the story they're reading at that time going to be the thing that carries them through um, you know, stress because of work? Is it going to be because they're stuck in their house because of a grand pandemic? They can't leave. They've had it on their to be red pile for four years. And, you know, several more books have come out. So the second they're done reading it, they've just gone to Amazon and bought everything else. 
You don't know the person that's sitting there that's taking care of a parent that's terminal. You don't know any of these things. And I've had people come over and go, you have no idea that reading this made me laugh while I was dealing with this. And when you hear that, that kind of stuff has way more meaning than, oh, this is a really fun book. You know, getting to hear the fact that you actually had an impact on somebody's life and you're like, I was just, it's fun. I was writing smart ass. Um, by the way, I don't write anything that's not smart ass, I don't think. Um, but from that aspect and perspective, you never know what impact you're going to have on somebody and what hope that might give somebody or what energy that might give somebody or what there's nothing better than hearing that phrase of you son of a bitch. I didn't sleep. I had to finish the damn book. And then I had to go to work. I'm like, you're welcome. Aww. Yeah, we're all like, oops. Yeah, I was uh, on Let the... Let me put the next one in your hands. When do you have to sleep again? <laughs> yeah, uh, what was it? It was Blinking Beasties panel. It was the second time doing it. A woman, like at the end of the... Everyone's getting up and leaving or, or coming up to the table. A woman like beeline down the middle aisle and goes... I bought Sleeping with Sasquatch last year when I, I, you know, saw you on stage. She says, I've read it eight times. It is my favorite book. It makes me laugh every time. And then her husband's like trying to catch up with her. And I just looked at him and I said, you are welcome, sir. Because, <laughs> you know, and his face turns red and she just starts howling over it. But it, it is, there is something awesome about, and you only get that at conventions. I think is the only chance that they get with you and you get with them that that could be you could be honest frank and and geek out together and uh, uh Patricia Briggs put it well really good one time and she's like I love meeting my imaginary friends friends you know and that's that's the vibe we get well and okay so we got to ask you this um oh, what is the, I didn't do it not you, Val. Nobody's interested in what you think. Just kidding. I love Val. So um, but uh, what is one of your weirdest fan experience? Okay. What is the best fan experience? Let's do it that way. Like one that you're like, this was the best fan experience. So the, I was at RavenCon maybe, because I think that's about the timing. Anyway, the, the gnome book had just come out. and. Um, the re and this because of this book, I have had gnomes sent to me from all over the world. That is not an understatement. And so I had and I'm sitting on the panel talking about it. And I said, all right, here's and I think it was on a it was a panel about writing crime and mystery. I said, here's where this book came from. I said, I had gone to police school for writers. I had gone. I said, you know, I, I said, I don't need to go play with firearms. I have enough. I grew up in, I grew up around them. It doesn't bother me. I don't need to go for tactical training. I've been through it. I have people I can call if I want to go play with breaching a door. I don't need to go do defensive driving because I'm not in the mood to go destroy a car, but it would be entertaining. However, abnormal psych, absolutely. Procedure, absolutely. Go play with new the new form LIDAR mapping crime scenes. Ooh, let's go play with the toys. So I've been sitting in abnormal psych and I am, hate the fact I'm blanking on her name at this moment. Woman had been working with a BTK killer and was coming out on the book on BTK 
Um, and it was a couple of months from going to press. And I had been sitting through some of her stuff and we're sitting there, we'd gone to dinner. We're, we're sort of chatting through some of how this sort of stuff worked. And um, so I'm, I'm on the flight home, I get home and I come walking in the door and I've you know, been flying home trying to go, okay, I don't write mysteries. Exactly, how do I turn this into a business expense? And sitting on the doorstep was a box. I'm like, all right, great. I pick up the box, I carry it in the house and I open it up and there's a garden statue. I had forgotten I'd ordered it um, from ThinkGeek. And it's a gnome about yay tall. It is swinging a Tommy gun and it's got this mad grin on his face and it says, say hello to my little friend. And I bust out laughing. I said, and again, sleep deprived, alcohol may have been involved. There's my story. It's a murder mystery. Somebody's killing gnomes and turning them into garden statues. I said that line and four people stood up and said, take my money. And I signed four books sitting on the panel with the moderator going, the panel's not over. And I said, but they have money. And, and so I signed and sold four of them sitting on the panel. And before the weekend was over, all of them had come and gotten everything else. That kind of story is priceless. Now I will, to roll into that a couple of years ago, there's an event I do every year, Grandfather Mountain. I am a Scottish athletics heavy um, athletic director and refer and judge and all this other stuff. We do a bunch of clinics. And so we're camped, camped out up there for 10 days and I come walking in the camper and there's a crocheted gnome staring at me. There's a crocheted gnome sitting in my bed. There's a crocheted gnome in the refrigerator poking at, poking, poking his head at me out of the beer box. There's crocheted gnomes everywhere. Throughout the week, more of them keep appearing. They keep moving. And so by the time the, the week is done, it was because a couple of friends of mine were, were coming to say, hey, we want you to perform our wedding ceremony for us. And that was the way of asking. She had crocheted 60 or she had crocheted 70 gnomes for everything from this big, like a little bit bigger than an egg to, you know, yay big. I have 50 something of them. She had, had done some of them for some other people, but all of them had to pass through my house at some point. Um, and the idea that that was so meaningful to somebody to crochet that many gnomes to say, will you perform our wedding for us? That's awesome. And the fact that all of my friends then contributed to the delinquency to move them around, to hide them, to, I mean, I was cleaning out the camper for this year's event. I found another one of the little bastards hiding. I mean, I think <laughs> they keep. The multiplying like bunnies. I love everything about that. Okay. We are getting near the end of this podcast, which makes me sad, but it's shameless self-promotion time. So oh, shameless you get to talk about where people can find you in your books and all that fun stuff. So shameless self-promotion, because I am a firm believer in shameless self-promotion. Um, so you can find me at jamespnettles.com. Um, that'll link you to most stuff right now. The website I'm in the process of doing the rebuilds because I had to move all the shit. Um, if you are interested in the workshops, if you're interested in some of the stuff like that, that I do as a writer, um, you can find that at authoressentials.net and authoressentialsworkshops.com. Um, I am also the business dean at the speculative fiction Academy. So if you're a spec writer wanting to be one, um, we've got about 70 instructors that teach a bunch of different classes across, across the spectrum. Um, you can find 
some of the, you can find my fiction side at jim-mcdonald.net. Hopefully within, by the end of January, everything will be merged and onto jamesbnettles.com and that'll link you over. Uh, if you are interested in the stuff we do at Continual, all the different shows and things we do over there, you can find it at continualconvention.com. You can find links to all the stuff we do there. Um, we've got everything about panel shows, about you know craft and business. We do a bunch of fandom. We've got a comics track. Um, you know, we do live events. Now that we're back at conventions, we've been doing meet and greets with with folks there. Uh, you can find my show and podcast, Creating Pros, at creatingpros.com. Um, and I think I'm missing something in there, but that's close enough. <laughs> you I think they'll to, be able to locate you. <laughs> um, and on social media, you know, if you look for James P. Nettles and you find something that looks like slightly snarky or me, um, that's probably me. If it's not me, it might be dad. And if you ping him, he's going to ping me and go and say, I think this is one of your people. Um, <laughs> One of your people. I, love of, I think this is one of your friends. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, what can I say? There's trouble to be caused. Tim, you've been amazing to have on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a bunch of fun. Um, okay. Even though I'm only about halfway through beer number two, I don't know what that says about you. That's okay. You have a whole other episode coming up that you get Literary ready. briefs. Go. Yes. Yes. Literary uh, briefs. We have to wear your underwear. Just kidding. That's not a thing. Um, I'm, I wear kilts. What's underwear? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say that could equal very fun things. Um, okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think, especially if you've been drinking along. Um, I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Valerie Willis. Our guest has been Jim Nettles, and we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.